believe and trust. This is where uh, basically you walk through the Christian faith is that you have to admit that you're a sinner and you go through the, your workbook and see all kinds of things where it shows, yes, I am a sinner. Uh, the second thing is believe. You have to believe in Jesus that he came here to die for us, uh, to take the place of our, uh, our sin. And then the third thing is you trust. You put your trust in Jesus. Say, Jesus, save me. I know that I need saving. I trust what you did on the cross. I trust who you are and I trust you to save me. Uh, the, next, uh, so, uh, the next three steps in that is inventory, confess, and repent. Uh, this is a hard, uh, step four I've heard is the hardest, is that you take a spiritual inventory, you look about um, all your sins, you try to uh, go through and say, you know, what am I struggling with? What am I, even though I may have been a Christian for a long time, what am I struggling with? So you go through and take a spiritual inventory, and through that inventory, you work through confessing each one of those to Christ, saying, I know this is a sin, and through, through repenting, asking God to take this sin away from you. Uh, help me focus on you more than I'm focusing on the world and all these sins that I'm wrapped up in. Is that we repent, turn away from that, turn towards Christ. And the next three steps is follow, forgive, and amends. Uh, you follow Christ through this. Uh, you ask for forgiveness. In the amends, uh, you, if you're familiar with a 12-step recovery program, amends is a big part of it. Uh, amends is you go and talk to people that maybe you have uh, grievances or, or uh, has, uh, you have sinned against them. Or you go and uh, talk to people that have maybe sinned against you. Um, you're, you're working to restore relationships because that's what Christ does. He brings restoration. Um, and then the last steps, the 10, 11, and 12, uh, you just continue uh, intimacy and regenerate. You go through these steps knowing that you are free in Christ. So that is real quickly, that is the 12 steps you work through. You work through that in a small group. Uh, for some small groups, I may be able to get through it in eight or nine months. Some small groups, it may take 14 to 16 months, depending on how long it works. Uh, I got to go to Regen this last Monday at, uh, at Grace Fellowship in Johnson City. And uh, I got to go to the groundwork, the, the bottom of that. It's a six-week course. It's basically what we're going to be talking about today. It's a systematic theology. It's trying to learn what you believe and why you believe it. Uh, and how does the Bible back that up? Uh, it was a, I was amazed when I was there uh, Monday um, in my group that was in there was that what encouraged me is I saw some guys in my group that would probably would never, never step foot in a church. Uh, it was some guys that were recovering from addictions. It was some guys that had some jail time. It was guys that were recovering from abuse uh, that happened to them as a kid. Um, and they were there, broken, uh, coming to the end of themselves, ready to get help. And, and that's what I'm excited about for Regen, is that our goal here at First Christian is to help people find and follow Christ. And that is every person to help find and follow Christ, not just the people that look like us or talk like us or uh, come from the same social economic background. It's everybody. And uh, so that's why I'm excited about Regen. It's going to help me, I know, personally as I go through and try to become more like Christ every day by acknowledging my sins and asking for forgiveness. But it's also going to help a, a greater community of Greenville and Green County of people that may not come ever on Sunday morning to church, but they'll come to Regen to get help. And through that help, they'll find Jesus and learn how to follow him. So that's why I'm doing Regen. That's why I'm encouraged about Regen and excited about it coming. Uh, you'll hear more about it in the video, and Tommy uh, Staggs, our associate pastor, will talk more about it uh, when he comes up to you before the video. One last thing before we uh, get into our sermon time. Um, it is August. Uh, another month has crept up on us, and because it's August, that means school has started. I know our students are excited about that. Woo, school. Yeah. Um, so what I, what I wanted to do is I just wanted to lead us in a quick prayer because um, a new school year is a new beginning for so many people. So um, if you are a student, whether high school, middle school, elementary school, or college, 
whether you are a school administrator or a teacher or you work at the school or a coach, I would just have you to please just stand up and I'm just going to say a quick prayer over us. So teenagers, teachers, school administrators, um, if you're a homeschool parent, that means you're all of the above. You're a teacher and administrator and all that. Homeschool parents, stand up. And uh, just let me say a quick prayer over y'all before we get started. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for all these people in this room. I thank you for these students, God. And I just pray they have an uh, amazing school year. I pray this is a year where you give them courage and faith to live out their beliefs in front of others. And through that, may others be uh, one to Christ and know about you. I pray for our administrators and teachers, God. I just pray you give them wisdom this year uh, to know what they need to do and when to do it, um, that you give them courage also to be able to live out their faith in the ways that they can so that everybody here may point others to Christ. Uh, I pray for your protection this year over our schools. Just help us be safe. Help us have a year where we grow, where we learn, and where we uh, also grow in our faith to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. I do pray for an awesome school year. Uh, we've been starting out our Hot Topic series with a skit each week, uh, so we're going to continue to that. So if you can join me, we're all going to go to uh, to Salsa's restaurant and join in a conversation. Febrero 23, los mando Wilson, seis mil americanos, tres mil caballos, doscientos aeroplanos, buscando a Villa por todo el país. Y comenzaron a salir expediciones, los aeroplanos comenzaron a... All right, thank you, Gabe and Gage. Um, if I didn't introduce myself earlier, um, my name is Wes Ford. I am one of the uh, associate pastors here at First Christian. And like I said, you're in part four of a seven-week sermon series called Hot Topics. 
because uh, I've only been on staff here since January, since I knew they gave me the easy topic, uh, I'm going to be speaking on the Trinity today, uh, talking about the Trinity. Uh, if you've been here for the other four weeks, you know some of the topics have been pretty hot and heated and debated. Um, I get the uh, the easy one today. Uh, I told Tommy the um, uh, me and Tommy share an office. We're both associate pastors. I told him that. Uh, my sermon pretty much is going to write itself this week. Um, all I have to do is I'm going to spend five minutes on God the Father. I'm going to spend five minutes on Jesus the Son. I'm going to spend five minutes on the Holy Spirit. And then five minutes just kind of talk about how they're all three and one in the same person. And that leaves me five minutes for jokes. So I'm all done. It's, it's, it's going to be easy. Um, but uh, in, reality, uh, in reality, this sermon is going to be really tough. Uh, as I was preparing and prepping this week, it, it, it's a hard topic to talk about. Um, and, and it has been hard for each one of us that's been speaking this week. This hot topic is great to talk about things that's not usually talked about in the church. But each one of these topics each week could have been its own sermon series. So it's a lot of information to cover in a very short time to do it. Uh, so let me, uh, let me share you some of my um, credentials and what I thought was great uh, growing up. Um, I grew up in church. Um, I've been to church all my life. In fact, I probably went to church in my mama's belly. Um, so I am one of those church kids. I've just always been growing up in church and um, always been at church. Uh, some of my church kid credentials, uh, I got saved when I was 14 years old. Uh, during the summers of my teenage years, I actually got to go on a uh, traveling troop that traveled all throughout the state of Virginia and did for 10 weeks every single summer, I went and taught little kids the Bible. It was kind of like a traveling BBS where I went to a different city each week. Um, I was still 14. I got saved at 14. I was still a baby Christian at that point. So I was actually think I was learning more than the kids were learning, but it was great. Um, I've known since the age of 16 that God has called me to be a minister and called me to a career of Christianity. Uh, I've known that. And since, since I've known that, I decided when I graduated college that I would go to a Christian college. Uh, so I attended Carson Newman. Go Eagles. And uh, in fact, I graduated from Carson Newman with a bachelor's of art in religion. So I was a religion major at college. So once I graduated college, I had been in church for 22 years. Um, I thought that I knew it all. I thought I was pretty grounded. I thought that my faith was good. When I looked at my peers, I thought, you know, I'm, I know what I believe and, and I'm pretty solid in my faith. But then uh, I decided after college that I would go to seminary. So uh, me and my new wife that got married. We got married the day before I graduated college. Uh, me and my new wife, we moved to Fort Worth, Texas and went to seminary. And while I was at seminary, uh, during my third year, I took a class called Systematic Theology. Uh, systematic Theology, what it is, it's just a class about trying to know what you believe and why you believe it. Uh, what you do is you just go throughout everything um, in the Bible and nitpick every single little thing about what is your beliefs. Now, like I said, I thought I knew everything at 22. I thought I'm solid, I'm grounded. But when I got to seminary, I, I found out that I hadn't really stopped to really think why I believe what I believe. Maybe you're in the same boat with me this morning. Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life and you've heard countless sermons, you've been to countless Bible studies, you've read the Bible, and you're like, you know, my faith is pretty grounded. I, I know what I know. But do you? I found out for a lot of me, I'd never really questioned it. I never really thought through it. I just kind of took the beliefs of my pastor and my parents and, 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 and walked that way. But when I actually got to systematic theology, I found out that I, I needed to 
find out exactly what I believe and why I believe it. But more importantly, and this is what systematic theology does, you take your beliefs and you hold them into the light of Scripture and say, is what I believe biblical? Is, is what I believe, does the Bible say what I believe? So I got to, uh, to systematic theology feeling pretty good. Uh, my first semester, I uh, got my textbook. Uh, this is uh, my textbook here for systematic theology. A pretty <laughs> thick book. I looked through it and I was like, man, that is, that is a big book. And then what, but what I found out is this was just a book for the first semester. Um, I got my book for the second semester, and it's even thicker than the first semester. Um, so it's just crazy that, that this was what we went through uh, for systematic theology. So um, today's topic is the Trinity, and we're going to walk through the Trinity today. But uh, to say it's going to be rudimentary is to say it, to say it best. Uh, my theology of the Trinity took uh, two months to walk through in a three-day-a-week class and three hours in each class. Uh, to walk through the Trinity. So I would encourage you, um, maybe you're like me, maybe you haven't really thought why you believe what you believe. Uh, you're welcome, if you want to, to borrow my books. Uh, there's actually, uh, there's a book that Scott has in the office that he uh, gets for uh, staff members that's never been to seminary. It's a lot sh- smaller than these books. Uh, it's called Systematic Theology by Wayne Gruden. And so a lot of our staff have walked through it, just trying to figure out why you believe what you believe. Or if you're not ready for a big book and you want a uh, kind of introductory book, uh, I would suggest a book by Matt Chandler. It's called The Explicit Gospel. In it, it's kind of a beginner's guide to systematic theology. In it, Matt Chandler looks at uh, who God is, looks at the fall of mankind, looks at who Jesus is, and looks how Jesus can restore us. Um, so it's just a very basic introduction to systematic theology about why do I believe these, are these beliefs bi- biblical? So I would encourage you, uh, do your own study, look through it, uh, and really know what you believe. Um, So systematic theology was good for me. I graduated knowing what I believe. Uh, I had a biblical theology about, uh, I I realized my thoughts did not contradict the Bible, and I came out of there grounded um, after three three years. So what is the Trinity? Uh, I've heard it said a lot of simple ways. There's a lot of different models about talking about what the Trinity is. Uh, My favorite way to talk about the Trinity is an apple. Um, This is a very basic way. This is how it was explained to kids a lot about what the Trinity is. Um, You have an apple. Everybody knows what an apple is. Uh, An apple has three parts. Um, In the apple, you have the skin. You have the fruit inside or the flesh of the apple. And then you have the core, which has the seeds. Now, all three of these serve a purpose. The skin is there to protect the apple and protect the fruit. Uh, The fruit is inside to nourish the seeds and help the seeds grow. And then the seeds are in the middle to provide growth, to grow another apple tree so you can have more apples. Three distinct parts, but one apple. I've heard it said the same way as like the trilogy. Uh, The trilogy is the triune God. It is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It is the three gods that we serve, but it's the one God that we serve. One God, just like the apple, three parts, just like the apple. The skin is for our protection. The Father is what he does, is he protects us. The flesh inside, Jesus came in the flesh and gave himself and died for us. And then the core, the seeds in the middle, is for growth, just like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us grow and mature as a Christian. Three distinct persons, one essence, one God. So that is a simple way to talk about the Trinity. Uh, Trinity. Um, I've heard different ways, like in the skit this morning you heard about water, how it can be in three states. I've heard a, uh, three sides of the same triangle uh, is the Trinity. Those are very simple ways. Uh, what we're going to do today is try to dive in and go into a more 
in-depth study of Scripture about what is the Trinity. So before we dive in, let me, uh, let me pray for us. God, I pray that you help us understand what you have for us today. Uh, I pray that you help us understand this complex uh, philosophy of the Trinity. Uh, and, and just open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts and our minds, and help us better understand you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what makes this topic of the Trinity a hot topic? Well, one of the things that makes it a hot topic is that how can we serve three gods when our faith is based in one God? Um, in the, uh, one of the most pivotal verses or pivotal things in the Jewish nation uh, is a thing called the Shema. The Shema is this whole list of Bible verses that really break down what the Jewish faith is. One of the, most, the way it starts, one of the most pivotal verses is in Deuteronomy 6.4. And this says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God. This is echoed in the first of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. It says, You shall have no other gods before me. So, there's only one God, no other gods before you. There are many other countless scriptures in the Old Testament pointing to the singleness of God. That there is just one God that we serve. So, how can we as Christians say that we serve a triune God when the Old Testament is telling us there is just one God? The, um, what's interesting is this. When we look at when Jesus came on the scene, you know, the start of the New Testament, he gathered his disciples around him, and there was all kinds of followers and disciples that followed him. All of these people that followed him were good Jewish people. These were people that were raised on the Bible. These are people that, uh, even back in that day and t- today, the Shema was so serious, they would nail it to the doorpost on their house. Uh, the priest would take the Shema and put it in a little box and bind it to their wrist and bind it to their forehead. This was the, the, the main verse of their religion, the Lord our God is one. So, how did all these disciples and followers of Jesus, when Jesus started saying, hey, I am the Son of God, I am God too, why didn't they say, no, that's heresy? Some of them did, but others did follow him and said, you know, this doesn't contradict what we know about God in the Old Testament. Jesus is the Son of God. They still believed him. And then Jesus started talking about this other one coming. He started talking about the Holy Spirit coming after him. And uh, this is going to be our main text for today. So if you want to turn there, John chapter 16. And we'll come back to this. So we'll read a passage if you want to mark it and leave a place there because we'll come back to it at the end. But I want to read this passage of John 16 where, where Jesus is talking about the one coming after him. John 16, starting in verse 5. It says this. John 16, verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus has spent all this time on earth telling people that he is God and people believed him. And then all of a sudden he talks about, I'm going away. Um, in this verse, you actually see all parts of the Trinity. We have Jesus the Son. He says, I'm getting ready to return to the Father. And he says, once I go, the Helper or the Holy Spirit will come. All three Trinity, all in the same verse. Um, Jesus identifies all three of them. 
Uh, I hear some people ask the question as we're going through this, uh, ask the question about why did Jesus have to leave? You know, even the disciples himself, they, he wanted Jesus to stay on the earth. He wanted to set up this, his earthly reign. He wants to, you know, kick the Romans that were occupying him out, uh, restore the Jewish nation. Why did Jesus have to leave? Because Jesus actually says it's actually better for you if I do leave. One of the uh, limitations that Jesus had while he was on this earth was that he came as fully human and fully God. Being fully human, it meant that he had a body. Uh, He had to be fully human in order to take our sins when he died on the cross. So while Jesus was on this earth, he was limited to one body. So he he could only be in one place at one time. When he left, he sent the Spirit. Now the Spirit is the omnipresence of God. That means that he could be, the Spirit can be anywhere and everywhere all at one time. So instead of just Jesus being in one place ministering to somebody, the Spirit can be in every single person's heart all over the whole world, ministering to them, pointing to the truth, convicting them about who Christ is and who God really is. And because of that, because Christ left and the Spirit came, in the last 2,000 years we've seen billions of people all over the world come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and come to the Father through Jesus So it was good that he left and that the Spirit came. Um, One of the key concepts of the Trinity is that all three are God and all three are equal. This is how we get some of the oneness of God, even though it's represented in three persons. They are all the same. Uh, It's not that God the Father is greater and a little bit lesser is Jesus and a little bit lesser is the Holy Spirit. They are all the same. I've even heard some scholars and theologians say that God the Father became Jesus, who then became the Holy Spirit. No, all, all three of these are the same. They are God. They have always existed, always been there since the, uh, the, the start of time. Um, another place in uh, the Bible that sh- where all three of them show up that, that shows that they are distinct, and they are distinct because you hear Jesus talking about me and talking about the, uh, God the Father as two different people. We see this at the baptism of Jesus. Um, In Mark chapter 1, as Jesus is baptized and he comes out of the water, this is what it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 10. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you you I am well pleased. All through the Trinity, distinct, showing up at the same time. Jesus the Son being baptized, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus, and then this voice from heaven of the Father saying, This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. Three distinct people showing up at the same time. There are numerous other New Testament uh, verses that talk about uh, God being uh, three and three and one. Um, Like I said, this is going to be a rudimentary study, so I don't have time to list them all. But what I want to do now is I want to go to the Old Testament and show you where the Spirit and the Trinity is in the Old Testament. Um, If you were not here two weeks ago, uh, Mark Liebert did an amazing job going through uh, showing where Christ shows up in lots of places in the Old Testament. So if you haven't read that or if you weren't here two weeks ago and didn't hear Mark's sermon, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. He did an amazing job. Um, so, but I want to show where the Trinity was or is in the Old Testament. You first see the Holy Spirit showing up um, all the way back in the very second verse of the Bible. So Genesis 1 verse 2 says this, The earth was without, was without form and void, and darkness was over the faces of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Verse 2 lets us know that even before creation or at creation, the Spirit was hovering there over creation. He was there. Uh, he was present at the very beginning. And Jesus was there too. Uh, if you go back and look at um, 
John chapter 1. John starts out his, his gospel saying this, In the beginning. Does that sound familiar? That's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. When John wrote this under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he wanted those words to make people automatically go back and think, Oh, creation, in the beginning. The, the very first thing that happened. And John says this, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then skipping down to verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This flesh was Jesus. So John is letting us know that Jesus was there in the beginning at creation. Verse 2 in Genesis lets us know the Holy Spirit was there at creation. And we know God the Father was there creating. Even farther down in Genesis, the very first chapter, uh, in verse 26, we come to the sixth day of creation. Um, God has already made all of this stuff. And when God made something in the first five days, it, it, the, the scripture simply says God said, and whatever he said, it was, it, it happened. But there was something different about day six. Day six, God says this, he says, let us make man in our own image. Do you get that? Let us make man in our own image. God was showing, even in verse 26, that he that there were more than just him. He was showing this, this, this trinity at the very beginning. Um, for humanity, uh, humanity was made in the image of God, and this image was plural. At the very beginning, he's still showing trinity. We're here. It doesn't contradict with God is one, but God is three. There's lots of other places in Scripture where it talks about uh, the Spirit showing up or the Trinity showing up. Uh, one of the best places uh, that shows is in Isaiah. Uh, during this Messianic passage in Isaiah, when Isaiah is, is talking about this Messiah that's going to come, he says this in Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. In this verse, Isaiah is, is showing, and this is the Trinitarian verse here, this is God the Father talking about the Messiah that's coming. That Messiah was Jesus. And this is God the Father saying, My Spirit will be upon Him. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all showing up, Trinity in one place. So the Trinity has always existed. But why three gods and not one? We have three gods because each one has a distinct role. Um, God the Father is probably one of the easiest that I can identify or maybe you can identify with too. Um, I am the father of four kids. Um, now, I don't always do this perfectly, but one of the, the, the main roles I think of me as a father for my kids is I want to protect them and also want to provide for them. I want to protect them so no harm comes to them, but I also want them to uh, have everything they need to grow and become the best person and the best Christian that they can be. So my, my goal is protection and uh, uh, providing for them. Jesus says this when he taught us how to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, uh, I don't know if you caught this, but when Jesus says this, this is Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Protection, or, or sorry, um, uh, providing for us. Give us this day our daily bread. Help us get what we need for today. And then protection, deliver us from the evil ones. Uh, protection and uh, providing. The role of the Son. 
Uh, we see the role of the son in uh, Romans 8, uh, 34. Uh, it says this in Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding, interceding for us. Christ came as a human, died for us so that we can be restored to God. And now he is at heaven at the right hand of God interceding for us. And we know in uh, Revelation, one day he's going to come back for us, that he's going to judge the world and take his own, uh, his own with him. That is the role of the Son. That was the role of Jesus. And then the role of the Spirit. If you jump back down to uh, the verse in John that we just read, and uh, I'm going to go uh, starting in verse 8 down there. So it's John 16, starting in verse 8. Uh, Jesus says this about the Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit's job, his role is to come and convict us of our sins. He lets us know that we're a sinner, that we need God. And uh, once we come to that and confess our sins through Jesus and ask forgiveness, the Spirit is also the one that restores us, that cleanses us, that makes us righteous just as Christ is righteous. Um, he's also the one that empowers us um, to live a bold, an emboldened faith and gives us gifts so that we may help out the church. So that is the role of the Spirit in a, in a brief sense. There's a ton more, like I said, that we can go through. Um, so we talked about the three distinct ones. Let me just spend a, a brief moment about how they are one. Uh, a disciple came to Jesus, Philip, and asked him, you know, Jesus, I know that you're the son. Let me see the father. I want to see the father. And this is Jesus' response to him. This is John 14, verses 9 through 11. He says, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does this work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus tells him, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are one. Talking about the singleness of God, but it also talks about how um, he is one, the Father is one, and also the Spirit is one. I've heard it said, some theologians say, how you describe the three in one is that it's three persons, but one essence. They are united in purpose, but they have three distinct roles. Um, as we end, uh, I want to bring our apple back up. Uh, do you know there's a lot of stuff to know about an apple? I'm sure that there were people that that's their job because a apples are like a billion dollar crop worldwide that study the apple. Do you know that uh, there's over 25,000 different varieties of apples? Uh, that's a lot more than you see in your grocery store aisle. Um, did you know the largest producer of apple in the world is China? Um, the only apple that is native to North America is the crab apple. Uh, every other apple has been imported here. Uh, there's a lot to know about an apple. But that's not why God created the apple. He didn't create it just so we can study it. Why did God create the apple? He created the apple to enjoy it so that we could enjoy it. 
It is the same thing about the study of the Trinity. I do think it's important to work through our faith. I do think it's important to read the Bible and work through it. I do think my time at seminary was worth it studying about God. But if studying is where it ends, you've missed the point. The whole point about God is not just to study God. The whole point about God is for us to enjoy Him, uh, for us to have a relationship with Him. Our study is good, but hopefully what our study does, our study shows us how amazing of a God that we have. And hopefully our study spurs us on to worship Him more, to serve Him more, to love Him more, and to experience Him more. That's what this study is all about. So I would encourage you, uh, as you look into your own faith, it's important to know why you believe what you believe and what the Bible says about it. But don't just study it. Don't just let it be in the, in, up here. Bring it to your heart and enjoy our Father. Enjoy the Son. Enjoy the Spirit. Our invitation today is simply this. What is the Spirit convicting you to do today? Is the Spirit convicting you to finally take your head knowledge about Jesus because Jesus is who he says he is. And a lot of us know this. We just haven't accepted it yet. Are you at a point where you need to accept that? Or is the, Jesus leading, or is the Spirit leading you today to join this church, to finally put membership here so you have some roots here and so you start to grow here? Or maybe you just need to pray with somebody today. There will be people up here ready to meet you up here. Uh, come as the Spirit directs and leads you. Let me pray. Father, we uh, just thank you for a chance just to briefly go through this concept of the Trinity. Thank you to what it means to our life, God, that we have this God that is three but is also one. Thank you for the purpose of creating us, that we can know you and we can understand you, but ultimately, God, we are here to enjoy you. Um, so just help us in that, God. Help us to know you more and more every day, to know you better, and just help us to, to worship you more. We thank you for God, for the Father who has created us, who provides for us, who protects us as our Heavenly Father. We thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus, that Jesus made this ultimate sacrifice that came down, and because of his sacrifice on the cross, we can come to you now. And we thank you also, God, for the Spirit, the Spirit that leads us to the truth, that convicts us from our sins, and that helps us understand all these great mysteries about you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.